Brothers and sisters, dear friend, welcome again. May the Lord bless you today with this sermon. Uh, we see over the world what's going on, and it feels as if I'm coming back here every week, and I say the same thing, but we see the same thing playing off every single day. Yes, we are still in lockdown, and there is talk in Victoria, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, that uh, lockdown might go for another month. But that should not deter the child of God. And as you know, we are studying through the book of Mark, and out of that we find fascinating uh, encouragement for these times we are living in. But today I want to park Mark for a minute. I want to leave Mark, and I want to encourage you with a psalm. During this week, as I meditated and as I prayed and I, as I spoke to God in prayer, I started to read some psalms, and what a blessing and for what reason, I don't know, I started in Psalm 80 and started reading through Psalm 80, Psalm 81, Psalm 82, Psalm 83, <clears throat> which makes for wonderful reading. And also praying to God in the mornings. Uh, this particular psalm I want to use today encouraged me so much in the midst of our environment, in the midst of everything that's going on. We need encouragement. And when we look upon man, and man can't encourage us anymore, then we look upon God. Well, I will change that. I would say that we first have to look upon God for encouragement. Then we can look at man. So, I was really blessed by this psalm. And as I contemplated about the psalm yesterday and today, it just dawned upon my heart that I want to bless you with this psalm. I want to encourage you with this psalm, and that is Psalm 84. Um, and you will see as we go through the psalm that it is so applicable to the day and the age that we are living in. So let's read through the psalm as we open up in Psalm 84 from verse 1. The word of the Lord says, To the chief musician and on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is the tabernacle of the Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And you can read there why that encouraged me so much. My dear brother and sister, our encouragement and our longing every day needs to be what the psalmist say. My heart longs, my soul longs, yes, it even faints for the courts of the Lord to be in His presence. And then he continues to say, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. There is so much in the psalm. Uh, in verse 3, he says, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow has a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. Now, whenever you see the word Selah in the Psalms, it means stop, pause, think, meditate. And even in this first four verses, there is so much to meditate upon. 
to think upon. Uh, he talks about the altars of God. Right through the Old Testament, we see that Abraham, he built altars and he pitched his tents. Pitching a tent means it is not temporary, it, it is not permanent, it's temporary. And he built an altar. And an altar is a place of worship. It's a place where you commune with God. Back in the Old Testament, it's where they offered to God uh, to have a sin offering to God, a thanksgiving offering to God. And here in this first, first four verses, I was so blessed when I read this. And it dawned upon my heart that we ought to see God like this psalmist sought God in our day. So we, we say la, we think about it, we meditate upon it. And even now, if you want to pause the sermon and, and read that first few verses again and pray to God and ask Him to make it real in your life, please do that. But then he continues in verse 5. And he says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on a pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a spring. The rain also covers its pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. There's that word again. Stop. Pause. Think. Meditate. Meditate on these verses from verse 5 down to verse 8. What does it mean when he says they went through the valley of Baca? What does it mean when they say that, they, that the rain will fill, fill the pools, plural? What does it mean that it says that from strength to strength, one appears before the God in Zion. What does Zion mean to you? I know what it means and I'm going to unpack it for you today. But it excited my soul so much. So much that I'm seeking to speak to the God in Zion, the mountain of God. O Lord of hosts, he uses that title there. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer, the, the cry in the psalmist's heart to hear his prayer. And then in verse 9, it continues on. I hope, I hope and I trust and I pray to God that his anointing will, will grab you just by reading these words. In verse 9, he says, O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. Who's that? For a day in your court is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he ever withhold from those who walk upright. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Did that encourage you? Just listening to the psalm? It should. It should encourage you. My question is, is where are you today? 
in your relationship with God. Because this addresses that somehow as well. I see a longing in the psalmist when he writes this. A longing for God. My dear friend, my brother, my sister, are you longing for God today? That's all that matters. All that matters. And here we see that playing out right in front of our eyes. And that is, and, and was, and still is such a blessing for me to see these words of the psalmist. In Psalm uh, for, uh, 84 verse 1, when he says, The chief musician on the instruments of Gath, that is an instrument which most probably was invented in the place of Gath. It doesn't say what kind of instrument it was. It could have been a string in instrument, a, a blow instrument, but, but one day we will know. It's so wonderful and so powerful. But then he says, A song of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah, who were they? Um, and, and we hear through the writings that this was a group of singers. Uh, and the psalm was most probably written for them to, to sing the psalm. It would be great to hear this psalm sang by the sons of Korah. I understand there's a band out there somewhere, a Christian band, who calls himself the Sons of Korah. I understand that, but that is not the original Sons of Korah. These were the original Sons of Korah. And, and I can't wait one day when I'm in heaven and maybe go up to the Sons of Korah and say, there is one thing that I would love for you to do, and that is to sing that psalm, Psalm 84. Can you please sing it for us the way you sang it back in the day? Back in the day when the temple was still there. That Psalm 84 from that psalmist who wrote it, who had a longing for God. Can you please sing it for us? How wonderful it would be to listen to this group of singers when they sing it with the authority and with the anointing of God. Wonderful. So wonderful. But you see, brother and sister, dear friend, we have the anointing of God with us today. And as we sing our songs, might not be the same as the sons of Korah, but it is a, it is a pleasant noise to God. But I say again, I would love for one day to appear when these men were singing that song. Now, let me give you a little bit of background where this man is coming from, where this longing comes from for the house of God or for the temple of God. In the ancient world, the pagans, they were pagan gods and the pagans were worshipping these pagan gods. And they had all their own places and temples where they could be worshipped. And there were images of them in these places. Now, I can just recall when I visited uh, Vietnam I visited um, uh, places like, like Bali, Thailand, when we, when we were in Thailand, uh, in the places of Hong Kong, Singapore. As I was walking through these cities, there's all of these places of worship for false gods. Or let me just say it at this point, for their gods. For them, it's not false. For us, it's false gods. Because we know the truth. But they don't. And I saw it all over. I could see 
In Bali, when we were out there walking in the street, you can smell the sense of incense which they are burning and everywhere, you know, on, on through the neighborhood, through the street, every few houses, there will be a small statue of a God and they would put some fruit in front of this God and they will burn the incense. And these, this is the way they worship their gods. And you see, the thing is, uh, back in the day, these, these gods, uh, had places as well. You know, if you think of Zeus and Athena, their place, their home was Athens. And if you walk through Athens, you could see these massive statues that they erected for their gods. And for the people who worshipped those gods, it was the dwelling place of their gods with them on the earth. Um, and you, you can remember when Paul, when in the book of Acts, he was walk, talking about walking through Athens. He saw all of these gods and the statues of them. And he came to an altar which says, to the unknown God. And brilliantly, he uses that to start speaking to these clever heads in Athens. And he says, I want to tell you about this God. Think of Artemis who lived in Ephesus. Think of Mercury. You lived in Rome. When the Romans came out, they had their gods. And Mercury was their god and they lived all of these places. Now you and I know that they are dead. I mean, you go back in the Old Testament and look at the god Dagon. And when Dagon, when they captured the Ark of God, they put it in the same place as this false god, the statue Dagon. And and they went and slept that night. And the next day when they came in, no hand touched it, but that statue fell over. And, you know, who is the living God? And, and they put it up again and then it fell over again. So we see this happening all over through the Bible. And we know that they are dead gods, but the people are keeping them alive. These people who are worshipping them, they are keeping them alive. They're not alive. But these people in their worship, they go on as if they're alive. They might, something small happens in their, in their daily accounts of what they're doing. And they say, yes, it's happened to me because of karma or because of my God who helped me through that. The old ancient Vikings used to worship gods and, and they would say it's all over to, to the gods and they would kill so many people. So these people were keeping them alive in their actions. But you and I again know that there is only one God that's alive and it's Elohim. There ain't other gods. They, they are not there. And these people as they keep them alive. So you may ask the question, what's the difference then between Elohim and these other gods? Isn't it us then that keep God alive by keep on talking about him? Oh no, my friend, no, no, that's not the case. I present to you Jesus Christ. Well, who is Jesus Christ? Well, we go through a Bible study now during the week and we studied who is Jesus. His pre-existence. Um, his incarnation, when he came and lived amongst us, the son of God. And when he lived amongst us, he called himself the son of man who reaches from man to God. He was alive amongst us, not a statue. 
You don't find any statues of Jesus Christ except for, you know, false religions like the Roman Catholic Church and all of these places. There you might find statues. But we don't erect a statue of Jesus and in a city in Jerusalem and now everybody goes to the statue and burns some incense to the statue and put some fruit down there. How foley is that? We don't do that. Why? Because Jesus was and is alive. We looked at it during our studies, incarnation. And then we looked at his life, which he lived amongst us. And the key point that came out of that is that he lived amongst us. He was tempted just like you and I were tempted, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Nobody can lay a claim of that. None of these other gods. And then we looked at his death. A God who would die for his people. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came and he died on a cross for you and for my sin. And, and it is noted right through. Everybody knows about it. Everybody. You look at the Hollywood and they write a script. They talk about Jesus Christ. They talk about him dying on the cross. Everybody knows about it. And then we studied in the study. and We saw his resurrection. Praise God. And we see that he is alive. That encourages me. Nothing else you know, encourages me more than that. And this is why I was so encouraged when I read the psalm during this week. And I want to encourage you with this. We look upon Jesus. Now, when we look upon the psalm and the Bible and what's going on in the world, we see and we say that, you know, Yahweh lives in Jerusalem. Or we see in the Bible, right through the Bible, it points towards Jerusalem as the city of God. Um, and there was a temple erected there, built by Solomon. You remember that? And that became the house of God. And as we show and point toward Jerusalem, the city of God, the Jews did not erect that, that uh, um, image of God in the temple. Why? Because it was forbidden in the book of Acts. God said, you will not raise a statue for me. And we saw right through the Bible in the Old Testament, whenever they tried to do that, it, uh, it came to the punishment of God. So there is no statue of God in the temple back in the day. It's only the temple, the house of God. And then even when Solomon writes this, he writes this down in 1 Kings chapter 8 uh, and verse 27. He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Will God? Question mark. Um, behold, heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain you. That is so, so true. Can, will God dwell on the earth? Will he live on the earth? Heaven of heavens, beyond what you can see, the skies and the clouds, will that be able to contain him? No, the answer is no. It will not be able to contain him. How much less this temple which I have built. You see, here is the fact, brother and sister. He lives in heaven, but he visits man. And we see that right through the Old Testament. He visits man. In the Old Testament, they didn't have the temple. They had the tabernacle. He would come down in a, in a pillar of, of uh, clouds. And when, when the people saw him coming into the temple, they would stand at their tent door and they would see that. 
in the in the temple that's where they had the holy of holies that's where they lived they they broke down the temple they uh, destroyed the temple utterly and today we find the dome there a muslim dome at the place where the temple originally existed but you know he asked the question you know is god going to live in this now let's come back to our psalmist. He, he longs for God's temple, for his house. And we see the fact that the temple was a copy of heaven, which God gave to these men to build. It's a copy of how heaven would look and the worship place they would look. And this meant a lot to the Jews. A lot. We find in Daniel chapter 6 verse 10, that when Daniel was taken captured out of out of uh, Israel, he, um, he prayed towards what? Jerusalem. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God and was his custom since early days. They put a decree out in the day. They say, well, you know, you can't pray to any God. And when the sound's going to be made, you've got to pray to God. So you can't go to your home and pray anymore. That's coming. We see that happening around us. But uh, uh, back to the word. We see that Daniel went home, opened up his window towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Can you understand the hunger of this psalmist when he calls out for the temple or for the house of God? And then Jesus calls it the Father's house. You remember when he spoke on the earth when he was here in John chapter 2 verse 16. And he said to those who sold doves, they came in, they sold doves in the courtyard. They sold uh, um, you know, animals, they made money, they made a little bit more money. They shafted people out of their money and Jesus walked in there. And what did he say? In John 2.16, and he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. So Jesus calls it the house of the father. And, and it meant so much to those Jews. It is, it is so much as it means for some of you now who's, who's calling me up and saying, when are we going to get back? When can we go back to church on Sunday? When can we go back to that building down there in Karam Downs and open it up and we can fellowship? I know, I know, I want to do it as well. But listen, listen, brother, sister, this man has got a longing for the house of God. And we're going to come to the point that really excited me. So it's the house of the Father, Jesus says. And we know that the temple was destroyed. We know that. I said it now before. And there's a mosque there now. But listen to Paul. When Paul, when they destroyed the temple, one could think, there goes the house of God. Old Satan and his walls. Yes, God's got no place to live on the earth anymore. It's destroyed, utterly destroyed. Uh, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, listen to this now. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Wow, now what happened here now? So where the house of God is, where he was present with the people in the temple. Now Paul says, do you not know? You know, we today look, there's no temple. So God's not there. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Wait. Paul says, this is now the temple. What lives inside of this temple? 
the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost lives inside of us. And, and he says, who is in you, whom you have from God. So who gave the Holy Spirit? God sent the Spirit. Jesus said, I will pray the Father and He'll send you another comforter. The comforter there, Parakletos, is the Holy Spirit uh, from God. And you are not your own, for you were bought with, at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How wonderful. Then he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, listen to Paul again. I take the words of Paul as the word of God, inspired by God. He says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. Wait a minute. He said in chapter 1 Corinthians, this is the temple of God. This, this body where the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Now, one chapter or one book on, chapter 2, he says, if this now gets destroyed, he says, for we know that if your earthly house, what is your earthly house? It's not this building. It's this. He's talking about the flesh, your fleshly body. If that uh, is destroyed, he calls it a tent, actually. He says, if this tent, and remember what I said earlier on the sermon that uh, Abram pitched his tent. Tent is not a permanent dwelling. Take something out of that. It's a temporary dwelling. It amazes me then that so many people are spending so much time on this temporary dwelling of this. Yeah, it's interesting. A different message though. But if we look through this now, he says, he says, uh, we know that your earthly house, this body, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God. Are you encouraged by that? We have a building from God. What are you talking about, Paul? A house not made with hands eternal in heavens wow you, you, you know here is the thing brother and sister i got so excited the other morning that that when i read it over again and all these scriptures came together i go yes this body is being persecuted you know maybe it's been told to stay at home it's been told to do that it's been told to do that and they might punish you they might whatever they do but it's only temporal but there is a building from God, a house which is not made of hands. You can't even anticipate this with your small and my small brain. But there is this place eternal in heavens. Verse 2, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. What's he talking about? Habitation, which is from heaven. If at first he calls this body this physical body there, the temple of the Holy Spirit. If at first he calls it that, and then he says this is going to disappear, it's going to be destroyed, it's going to die, it's going back to the grave. What is the next habitation? Our heavenly body. Our heavenly body. You say, give me an example of that, Jesus Christ. When he was risen from the grave, he was in his heavenly body. There is a classic example thereof. And here it brings it all together. For in this we groan, and it's a desire to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. It's also our habitation is a place of dwelling, the, the house of God. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan. Oh, yes, I know. I hear the groans. 
I groan often. I go, oh, I've got a very, very sore back. And one day I stand up and my knee is sore. And, you know, the other day I, I was sleeping and I, oh, I've got a pain here. And, and, and you know that. I mean, who am I to say? There's some of you listening to me, me now who's got daily pain that you're going through. And you groan through that pain. Take courage in this. There is a new habitation that comes from heaven. He says, uh, 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 for we who are in this thing grown, being burdened. Yes. Yes. Cast your burdens unto Jesus. He cares for you. Higher, 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 love Jesus, higher. You all know that song. Cast your bearded burdens unto Jesus. He says in this body we're going to be burdened and we're going to groan. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. That mor morality may be swallowed up by life. Morality being swallowed up by life. I pray God he blesses you through these words. We are serving a living God. You see, one day we will depart and go to be in the real house of God. The house of God, which is, as Paul says, eternal in heaven. Eternally in heaven. Uh, it reminds me of a song, and we sang it before. Somewhere beyond the blue, there's a mansion for me. Somewhere beyond the blue, I'm longing to be. I'll see my Saviour's face and sing of saving grace. Somewhere beyond the blue, someday. You see, that song means so much to me because it brings me back to the promise that Jesus Christ gave us. What is that promise, preacher? Well, if you open up in your Bible and underline it and make sure that you read it over again and meditate on it. John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. He's talking to us. He talked to his disciples first, first point there, but then he, through that he speaks to us. Let not your heart be troubled. There's so many things that trouble you. You believe in God, believe also in me. The, the, the way that he said those words, you believe in God, believe also in me. They couldn't see God, but they could see Jesus. And they believed in God, although they didn't see him. And Jesus is already preparing them that when he departs, he's not going to be there. They're not going to see him every day anymore. Uh, and he's going to be ascended on high. They should believe the same way on Jesus that they believed in God. That's how we believe today. He says, believe in God as you believe also in me. In my Father's house, here we go, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. Thomas came to him and said, Lord, tell us where you're going. He didn't fall. The penny didn't drop. And Jesus uses that scripture verse in uh, uh, 1 John 4, uh, 14 verse 6. He says, For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we see that Jesus promised about that house in heaven. 
in heaven. Now, we see this in the longing of the psalmist when he writes that he didn't have Jesus. Remember this. He was in the Old Testament. He didn't have the words of Jesus. He didn't have John 14, which I just quoted to you. He had the temple. He had the physical temple, which was built, which represented the, the presence of God. This, this man, this psalmist didn't have the Holy Spirit like you and I have the Holy Spirit. He had the temple, the physical temple that was built, which is the presence of God. So once a year, at least they had to go on the pilgrimage there. So, so get this. See how, how privileged you and I am that we have him with us, in us, forever. But you see this, the longing in the psalmist for the house of God. And not only for the house of God, but also for the journey to the house of God. For them, it was a big pilgrimage to go to Jerusalem. Daniel opened up his windows towards Jerusalem. Those people who didn't live in Jerusalem, they were journeying that uh, a pilgrimage to go to Jerusalem. Verse 1, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. See, the, see the, the, the longing for that. He says, my soul, yes, even my fain, heart faints for the courts of Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. See that? So he's got that yearning for that. In uh, verse 5, he said, Blessed is a man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. Verse 5. Even the pilgrimage up to the temple was a blessing. Even that, that pilgrim, we're going to talk about that in a minute. And not only the pilgrimage, not only the house, then he brings in the altar. Remember, the altar is a place of worship. So it's not only that physical building which represented the presence of God amongst them. It is not only the pilgrimage, which was a difficult pilgrimage, but it was the altars of God where they could commune with God, where they could speak to God. He says in verse 3, Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay the young. Even your altars, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. See this man's yearning and take encouragement out of that, that you and I don't have to go to Jerusalem. It would have been difficult in the lockdown. That would have been a different story. We don't have to go there. Why? Because he's here with us. He's here right now in this room. He's got angels here and he's there with you through this camera. And you listen to him this morning. You believe in him and you hold on to your faith in him because he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And these men had so, they were so encouraged to go to the place of worship, to the house of God. And he says, even the altars. And I know some of you are longing for us to get together again. I know that. And I do. And I, I by far don't say this is the same. Because, you know, our little place, humble place of worship where we get together is not close to this. You know, to the instructions of the uh, the Old Testament and Exodus of, of the place of the house of God. It's not even close to that. But there's a greater calling for you and for me. A calling back to the, to the house of God. The promise that he gave us. Now here is something else that we can get really encouraged by. What the psalmist write. 
he says he will be happy to be a doorkeeper in this place. In verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. Whoa, I can, I can confirm. If I just think in the presence of God, for me is better than a thousand days. Uh, he says, um, it, it, than a thousand. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. You see, again, he uses the word tents. They, they were familiar with tents. But the tent is a place of wickedness, is, is the tent. You go there to satisfy, which is not long. It, it's a short satisfaction. And he mentions these out there. Uh, but we also see that dwelling in the house of God brings a blessing. It brings a blessing to be in the presence of God. I, I see the house of God as the presence of God. Verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. You see that? Who dwell in your house, who spend time there. That to me is a permanent word. They dwell. It, it, it is more, uh, you know, permanency than a tent, which is just pitched and go. He says blessed. And the word blessed there is the word happy. Happy are those who, who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. They will still be praising you. Verse 5, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on the pilgrimage. So there's two things here. Blessed are those who dwell in your house and blessed are those who come to your house, who come to your house. And let me apply it, you know, in, in, in an application here, which is not a theological application, but just to encourage you today is, yes, we dwell in the house of God. He's with us here today. I pray to him this morning, again this afternoon. I spend some time with him and I worship and I thank him for everything. He's in, in, in I'm in his presence, but, but then we go and we come together. We go there and we come together as children of God and we serve and worship Him and those things He brings out. Now he comes to verse 6. On this pilgrimage that comes in there, and I want you to listen clearly now. He says in verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it spring, the rain covers it in pools, they go from strength to strength, each one who appears before the God in Zion. So they've got a destination they are going. But to get to the destination in Zion, which is the mountain of God, again the presence of God where He speaks to His people and where they worship Him, as they go that journey, they go through a valley, a valley of Baca. Now, uh, the word Bakada means weeping. So this is not sometimes a pleasant journey to get to your destination. And we all know about journeys of our lives. Things that we've done and where we're going and we haven't reached that point yet and, and how much the struggle could be. But think back for these people who would put, they didn't have uh, uh, tar roads and, and they didn't have motor vehicles. They didn't have jet planes. They didn't have uh, trains to go there. They had to walk. With the animals, with their families. And they would go through valleys. Now you and I know that a valley represents times of trouble sometimes. You know, and it, it, it's also a place of habitation. You know, if you think about the valley, that's where you go and live. That's where you settle down. But some valleys is not so good. And this particular valley is called the Baca is the valley of weeping, of struggle. And think about these people going through dry, dusty roads without water, 
with trouble, with robbers, with wild animals who can attack them at any stage going through this valley. And here particularly the, the emphasis is on dryness because he says there they make it a spring. They make it a spring. So in other words, if you make it a spring, before it was a spring, it was dry. He says they make it a spring. The rain also covers the pools. So what did they do? As they journey through, it wasn't just two people. They, they would have had a lot of people and they would camp for a day or maybe the night and day or two. And they wouldn't have water. And what would they do? They would dig these little holes in the ground. And when it rains and when rain comes through or well water, it will fill the pools. This is what it's talking about. So let's apply it to our lives as you go through the valley on your destination to, to the destination of God. There's going to be struggles, my friend. There's going to be these dryness that comes into your life. There's going to be times where things don't happen the way that you want it to happen. There's going to be times that you throw your hands up and say, why? All of these things is in the valley of Baca. But here is the good news. There is an end to the valley. There is an end to the valley, but there's also a means to the valley. And that is that the blessing of God will even be there with you in the valley. See these pools. See them as they dug them with, with faith that it's going to be filled with water. So you and I might be still in the valley of Baca on our way. And there might be struggles coming our way. And there might be hardships coming our way. But see the means through that for the blessing of God. The blessing of God. See why the psalm blessed me the other day? There's so much in it. He says, for each one appears before God in Zion. Now I can go off on that and talk about that and preach a sermon about that. Because it means that each one of you and I will appear before God in Zion. But what have you got to bring to God at that particular point? He says, Lord God of hosts. And I like the title when he uses the God of hosts. And you know I'm talking fast now because I'm running out of time, but I praise the Lord I'm enjoying this. The Lord of hosts, God of hosts, means that He is the God over everyone. The angels, the spirits, everyone. He's the God of hosts in heaven and on earth. There ain't nobody like my God. You see, we started off talking about other gods. They did. This God is alive. He's well and he's with us. So they reach the Mount of Zion. Let's finish this morning. And we finish it with a prayer for the Messianic King. Who is the Messianic King? There's only one. And every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to him. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. Here he, the psalmist now, after his longing for the presence of God, after his longing for the journey, the pilgrimage, after he encourages us so much, he prays. He prays for the Messianic King. See how he prays it in verse 9. He says, O God, behold our shield. We know that Jesus is our shield, but let's continue. And look upon the face of your anointed now. There's two applications of this. I get that. One is the anointed people, which is the nation. But your anointed, capital letters, your, the Holy God anointed is Jesus Christ. For a day in your court is better than a thousand, he says, and I'd be much rather a doorkeeper than dwell in a tent of wickedness. For the Lord God is the sun and shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. 
Now you say, how do you put this preacher down to a prayer of Jesus, the Messianic King? Because there's only one who came to us, who gave us what? He gave us grace and glory. Just in uh, the Bible study, which I will release now about sin, we talk about uh, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all fought short of the glory of God. We are unpacking the glory of God. And here we see that the glory comes via Jesus Christ. He says, Lord will give grace and glory. So what is he praying for? He says, when your messianic king comes, let he see us in the same eyes that you see us in grace and glory. Wow! Wow, it's already a prayer in the Old Testament. And we see the fruition and the fulfillment for that in the New Testament. In the New Testament. He says, no good thing will be withheld from those who walk upright. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Wow. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. There's a lot of distrust in the world right now. Who can we trust? Who can we believe? We saw this uh, this word coming out a few years ago, fake news. And there is a lot of fake news. I'm not going to dispute that. That's true. And you need to find the truth. Okay, You can't just listen to every channel and every people and, and take it as fact. You need to test it. And you need to fact test it. Okay, Fact check it. But... Uh, there is a lot of distrust in the world. There's a lot of fakeness in the world. And we have here a man who writes to us. He says, blessed, happy is the man who trusts in you. There's only one trust that will bring you happiness and blessedness. And that's the trust in God. My friend, I, I pray that, that the Lord blessed you today. Take courage for the next week. You know, do this. Go and read the psalm again this week. Oh man, read it even every day from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday until next week and Sunday. See what he does for you. He did a lot for me. Uh, it encouraged me so much. And may the Lord bless you and may he keep you in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, which is uh, living and it's powerful. And thank you, Lord, that you blessed us with the psalm. The psalmist wrote this back in the day, but who would have known that he would bless people in 2020? in a year where there's so much calamity upon the face of the earth. And Father, we thank you that it's your words that he just bent down and you are blessing us because you are not confined with time and, and, and boundaries. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.